0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris. It's great to be with you this morning as we carry on this series of famous last words. I think we're on part three um, of this in you know, the, the series. It's talking about these last words. And if you could pick your last words, if you knew what your last words were going to be, I wonder what they would be. There's uh, that famous um, eccentrics um, comedian, Spike Milligan, whose famous last words was this, I told you I was sick. He put those on, he had them etched onto his gravestone. And there's something about Spike's character um, in those words. You see something about his personality that even here, right um, at the end, he's still wanting to make people laugh. He's still wanting to have um, a, a joke. And you know, if you were to pick your last words, there'll be something that um, are meaningful. There's something that are, are about you, something that portrays a bit about your character uh, and those things that are really important to you. They're not going to be something like, Oh, don't forget to put the cat out. Well, unless the cat's really important to you, then you might put those as your, your famous last words. And in this series, we're, we're looking at the famous last words of Jesus, the things that Jesus said. And in them, we see so much of who Jesus is. We see so much of what Jesus is about. We see so much about Jesus' personality and his character and his purpose. So that's what we're going to explore and we're going to pick that up um, in just a moment but before we do that let's just think about this uh, for a moment do you remember back in um, school when you were being picked for sports teams who remembers those sort of um, experiences you know you you're sitting on I remember it I felt like this uh, lad uh, they you know and they're, they're picking the sides and it's always the really sporty the really popular um, kids who get picked first uh, and then you know the people who are average are, are picked sort of next I was sort of always in the middle group and then and you always feel sorry for the people who are always left um, to last, and they're always the ones. Oh, do we have to have so and so in our team? And I think what a wonderful thing to put our kids through at a time in their life where identity and value um, is so important and, and so difficult um, for them that you have to go through this sort of experience um, as well. And there's, um, I mean, there's more challenges like this at, at school life. There's the whole thing of school reports. Remember um, parents' teachers' evenings? I remember um, going to parents, teachers uh, evenings. And this is what my report often would say. Um, You know, my parents would be sitting there. and Basically, it was an opportunity for my teachers to humiliate me in front um, of my my parents. And my report would always say, could try harder. And I used to think, well, I'm sure my teachers could try harder at coming up with a better thing to put on my report. They just do the same things time and time again. You know, when I've taken my kids um, to parents' evenings, the experience has been very different from the one that I gave my parents. And I will. I always say to them, thank you so much for giving me the experience I never gave to my parents. Actually, the first time I talked um, my daughter to a parent's evening, I had to phone my mum up to apologise afterwards. Say, I'm really sorry, mum, that I never gave you the experience that, that I've just had. But this whole thing is part of that school life where we're thinking about, well, where do I fit? Am I good enough? Um, do I fit in uh, into the crowd? Am I popular enough? I remember in, in primary school, we had a, a school play of Pinocchio. or well, It wasn't actually called Pinocchio because of copyright reasons, so they had to change some of the characters and those things. And I tried out for the school play. I wanted it to be Pinocchio. I wanted it to be the, the central character. I wanted it to be the star. I wanted it to be in every scene. And I gave that audition my absolute all. And in the end... I was a cat, I was in Pinocchio, a cat, the cat wasn't even in the original, it was one of these extra things that was written in, and I wasn't in every scene, I was in one scene, I didn't have a whole bunch of lines, I had one line, and to make it worse I had to wear tights and a leotard, and I remember walking onto stage and my dad wolf whistling at me, <laughs> From, from the audience, it was humiliating. This is my upbringing, this whole experience of of trying to be picked first in the football team, trying to get a good report um, from my teachers, trying to get into the, 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 um, the school team or, or into the school play, um, and all of this sort of stuff is what goes through uh, my mind and I think, am I good enough? Do I come up to the grade? Um, and we live in this whole world where we, we elevate and we, we celebrate celebrities. Um, we celebrate people who are famous. We celebrate people who are sports stars, you know, entrepreneurs and all of those sorts of stuff. We put them on a pedestal and we say, this is what success looks like. This is the criteria. If you want to be good, if you want to be valuable, this is what you're aiming for. And the problem is, Most of us will never live up to the standard that the world is expecting. Most of us will never live up or rise above to be noticed. Most of us will never be more than just a face in the crowd. Let me tell you this uplifting truth this morning. You are average. I bet you're glad you came to church this morning or or tuned in um, online. What a great experience. You're average. I'm average. Most of us average. And that's not a bad thing. I think we should own our average. I think we should celebrate the fact that we are average in that stuff. And, and the whole problem with this is we think, well, am I good enough? If I'm average, am I good enough? How do we know what good enough is? How do we define what good enough is? Sure, there's a worldly standard that talks about, um, you know, this is, this is what you've got to be like, and this is what you've got to attain to. But is that what we're going for? Is that what we're after? Are we good enough? How do I know that I'm good enough? If we open the pages um, of the Bible and flick through it, we, we see a standard that God sets for His people. The, the whole lot of the Old Testament is basically God laying down the foundation, God laying down the standards for this is how you are to live if you're going to be in My presence. See, God established the nation of Israel to be His people, and He said, "I'm going to live with you. I'm going to I'm going to dwell uh, among you." But there's a problem there because God is not average. God is good enough. God God is perfect. And he brought this whole nation together and said, Look, you're going to be my people. And through you, I'm going to reveal myself uh, to the world. But if I'm going to exist in your presence, then there's going to have to be some ground rules that you're going to have to sort of try and raise your game to exist uh, with me. So, you know, so much of the Old Testament is a bunch of laws and rules and regulations where God gave to these people that this is what it looks like for you, a bunch of imperfect people to live in my presence. And the problem is, the standard, the, the past grade wasn't just like a C plus. It was an A double star, something I never even achieved ever in, in my life. It was 100%. God is perfect. And he, he wanted his people to be perfect, to exist in his presence. And, and, and they couldn't do that. Of course, they couldn't attain to that standard. So there needed to be another way. And Jesus comes onto the scene. And uh, he's, you know, Jesus is the full of God and he's the fullness of humanity all wrapped up in one complete package. I can't quite get my head around that. That that Jesus isn't part man and and part God. He's not like 50% man and 50% God or or whatever. He's 100% human and he's 100% God and he's 100% perfect. And Jesus is God's plan, God's way to actually solve this problem of how do you have a bunch of imperfect people existing in the presence of the perfect God? How do you have a bunch of people who are not good enough, who are average, existing in the presence of the God who is supreme and above all? And if we jump to the end of the story, which might seem a bit strange. So Jesus's last moments where people felt that this is sort of like the end, where people thought that this is, you know, it was defeat and everything had gone wrong. We see actually Jesus coming into his fall and a lot of stuff has happened. Jesus has been arrested. He's been betrayed by his closest um, friends. He's been beaten. He's been humiliated and mocked by the religious leaders. He's been beaten and mocked by the soldiers, and he's nailed to a cross. And just when you might think that, okay, uh, he can be left on his own, it carries on. And there's a guy who's been crucified with him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled uh, insults at him. And he says, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. I See, you can picture the scene. Jesus is there nailed to this cross and there's two crosses on either side. And one of the criminals on the other cross turns to Jesus and he starts mocking him. He starts abusing him. He starts hurling insults um, at him. You know, how low is Jesus sunk? You know, yeah, the religious elite have mocked him. The soldiers, the people with power and control have mocked him. But this guy, this criminal who's facing the same fate that Jesus is facing, Uh, is facing, is doing the same thing. And I wonder if part of the reason why this guy is doing it is because a lot of the attention is not on him. You know, Jesus is bearing the brunt of the abuse of the crowd. And, and this guy perhaps wants to keep that focus on Jesus. Don't look at me. Don't, don't turn your, your wrath or your anger on me. Let's keep all the attention, all of the focus on Jesus. So he joins in uh, with the crowd and starts mocking Jesus. He says, "No, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know, there's no hope in this. This is not really a request. This is not really a plea. It's just an opportunity to, to mock Jesus and, and to insult him a little bit more. But there's another guy in this scene. There's another uh, criminal who's hanging on the cross, and he says something very different um, to Jesus. You know, the other criminal rebuked him. You know, this other guy who's now then starts having a go at this other criminal, and he says, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man... Has done nothing wrong. See, this criminal is very different from the other guy. He's he's watching what's going on and, and he he sees what this guy's doing and he something happens within him. Maybe something breaks within him. And he's like, this isn't right. This isn't just. You know, I'm being punished because I've done something wrong. But but this guy, he's done nothing wrong and he's facing the same fate as me. I wonder if this guy woke up in the, this, the morning and he knew what was gonna happen this day and thought. What's gone wrong? How have I got myself into this place? How have I got myself into this mess? Uh, And he comes uh, to Jesus and he has a go at this other guy and he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, he realized that he's sunk to the lowest of the low. He's realized that his life is right at um, the bottom as, as it could be. And he looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's such humility. There's such hope. In these messages. And what he's saying here is a little bit more uh, than Jesus, J- just remember me. Jesus, just just think about me. These words are used quite a lot throughout um, the Bible. And he's saying, um, you know, Jesus, will you do something about me? remember me when you come into your kingdom. You might know the story um, of Joseph back in the Old Testament and Joseph is thrown into prison and uh, there's a cupbearer comes before him and and he he helps it interprets a dream and this guy gets uh, released and Joseph says um, to the cupbearer remember me when you get back to Pharaoh but the cupbearer didn't he He forgot about him and Joseph is left in prison for a bunch of other years. There's Samson at the end of his life and he's standing in the temple and his, his hair has been cut and the strength is Left him and he puts his hand on the pillar, and he says to God, "Remember me." And his strength comes back, uh, and he destroys that temple and destroys all the Philistines there as well. There's Hannah, Samson's, uh, sorry, Samuel's mum, who can't have kids, and she cries out to God, "God, remember me." And God remembers her and she's able uh, to conceive and give birth to Samuel. This this message, remember me, happens constantly throughout Scripture. And as people cry out to people or cry out to God, remember me, do something about me. Don't just think about me, make something happen. And it's amazing what's going on uh, in this scene because it's this guy who understands what's really going on. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Everyone there thought this was the end. Everyone there thought Jesus was defeated, that it was all over. Yet this criminal, you know, you've got the religious elite, you've got the crowds, you've got, the, crowd, you've got the, the soldiers, you've got the average people. This guy is right at the bottom. He's the lowest of the low, but he's the only one who can really see what's going on. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't see defeat he sees victory. And then Jesus says something absolutely amazing in response. He says, Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, You can picture the scene, you know, all the abuse and all the attention is going on. Everyone's hurling uh, stuff at, at Jesus and this guy's having this thing and he cries out to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and and offers this this message of hope. You know, today, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And I wonder what what this means. Which word stands out to you? There's so much in it. You know, this word um, today stands out for me. What what does Jesus mean by that? You know, there's so much going on in this. What are the eschatological implications of of what's happening here? You know, eschatology is sort of like the doctrine of last things, and I can barely say it, let let, alone understand what it's about. You know, what does? do you mean literally today, these 24 hours? Is that what you're saying? You know, we don't really know what happens over this this period of time that Jesus dies on on Friday and he's resurrected, spoiler alert, on the Sunday. And on the Saturday, what's going on? Where is Jesus? You know, there's been so much written and so much debated uh, about that, but nobody really knows what is going on in that. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I think, you know, it's worth debating that. It's worth understanding that, but I'm not sure that's the most important word in this sentence. I wonder if this word, paradise, Is this the word that that stands out to you? You know, when we hear that, we think of something. And I imagine where your mind goes is somewhere very different to where this guy's mind goes. When we hear Jesus saying these words, today you'll be with me in paradise, our minds tend to go somewhere in the future. We think about heaven and maybe clouds and hearts and angels or whatever it is that you think about um, when you think about heaven we think about this 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 future place and, and escaping this present reality and leaving this physical mess behind and going to this spiritual uh, plane we think of something eschatological something in the end and those sort of things that's not what's going through this guy's mind uh, at this point you know this guy is probably thinking a little bit more about something in the past rather than something in the Future. He's probably thinking about something more akin to the Garden of Eden. In fact, this word paradise in their culture literally meant a garden with a wall. And you know, the Jews w- w- would think about um, paradise as a present reality. It's something within their time. It's a place that you could get to, but but for somehow it's hidden. And we put this eschatological meaning, we put this sort of end time, this future um, dream and hope into the word paradise. But that's not there in this. Culture that comes in uh, a lot later on, you know. And what does it mean? What 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 is heaven? What does it look like? What is this paradise that Jesus is inviting him to? I think these words are important today uh, and paradise, but they're not the most important words in this sentence. The most important word, or the most important words, are these two words right in the middle. With me. Jesus says to this guy, Today you will be with me. He's saying, Where I'm going. You will go. What I have, you will have. You will be asso- not, not, Sorry, you'll be more than associated with me. You will be united with me. He welcomes him into his kingdom. Absolutely amazing stuff that's going on in this place. Uh, and you know, it's very different. You know what we understand and, and what we interpret to what Jesus is is saying to this guy. And and I wonder the impact that this had uh, for for this guy. This is the take home message. To you will be with me. And it's amazing that this guy is the last person we would expect to be the first person to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. He's right at the bottom. He's a criminal, you know, he's done a bunch of things wrong. He is getting what he deserves. Yet he is the first person to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. If we were to pick who that would be, I mean, how far down the list would we have to go before we get to this guy? Yet Jesus sees something in him, and he invites him, he includes him to be part of his kingdom. He's made the cut, he's made the grade, he's been picked first. And imagine the impact that these words had on this guy. These words of of, of reassurance, these famous last words of reassurance for this guy. That as he woke up this morning and he realised that everything had gone wrong. And he realised that his life was a mess and he realised that this was the end. Jesus spoke words of hope. Jesus spoke words of love. Jesus spoke words of comfort. Jesus spoke words of reassurance onto him. And, you know, what a difference that made for his life. And these words of reassurance can be words of reassurance for us. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I, I'm not like this guy. I've not, not done the things that this guy's done, not that I know what this guy has done. He's a nameless, famous, faceless person, but he's included in the kingdom of God. I'm pretty sure he felt that he wasn't good enough. I'm pretty sure he felt that he didn't meet the standard or meet the great. I feel that all the time. Am I good enough? Do I come to the standard? And the reality is I'm not, you know, I am not good enough. We, we get picked for sports teams, we get graded on our reports, we get all of those things because of our performance, because of our, pop, our popularity, because of what we're able to achieve. But we're welcomed into the kingdom of God, not because of who we are or not because of, of what we can do. The reason we're welcomed and we're included in the kingdom of God is because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And this is amazing because Jesus is an A double star student. Jesus is first pick every time. Jesus makes the grade. He is 100% and I'm not. And the standard to get into the kingdom of God is 100%. So how is it possible? How is this, this criminal the first one in? Well, God looked at Jesus's report card in place of his. God chose to look at Jesus's report card. God chose to take Jesus's grade and say, okay, you can have that. And he does the same for us. He does the same for you and for me, that he includes us, he welcomes us, he accepts us, not because of what we do, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. The question we are asked all the time is, am I good enough? Know this truth. Am I good enough? You're not good enough. You are not good enough, but Jesus is. Can we bump onto that, that slide? You are not good enough, but Jesus is good enough. You will not get into the kingdom of God based on your merit or what you achieve or how popular you are. Of course you are, and you will never attain to that standard. But the good news is Jesus has done it for you. And if we're willing, we can allow these words of reassurance to be words of reassurance for us that we can get in and we can be included and we can be welcomed, not because of anything we do, of course, not because of anything we do, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. You see, the thing that amazes me is as that guy hung on the cross, Jesus knew everything about him. Jesus knew all of the stuff that he had done that led him to that point. And Jesus knew all of the stuff that he had done that he'd got away with. Jesus knew the good, the bad, and the ugly, yet he still loved him. He still welcomed him. It doesn't mean he was happy with everything he saw. It just means he loved him more than the, the depravity of the things that he had. And Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. He knows the good, the bad, And the ugly. But this is the amazing fact. He still welcomes and he still accepts you. He still allows you to be part of his kingdom. None of us are removed from that grace, none of us are beyond the limits of what Jesus has for us. And therefore, these can be famous last words of hope and reassurance for us. These can be famous last words where we get included to be part of his perfect kingdom, not because we're good enough, but because he's good enough. And just like this guy, right at the end of his life, allowed those words to impact him and transform him and change him, we can do the same. That from this point onwards, we can accept Jesus and we can receive these words and we can live lives like we're accepted. We can live lives like we're included. We can live lives like we're people who are good enough to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Because you know what? We are. Not because of what we've done. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done, that he set the standard and he's made it possible for us who are way down here to go up to there. And so he encourages us and he inspires us to be better than we are, to draw on that resource and to see ourselves the way that he sees us. And I don't know about you, but when I ask myself those questions, am I good enough? Do I come up to the grade and I realize how far below the standard I am? When I start to see myself as Jesus sees me, inspires me to be better than I am. It inspires me and challenges me to live according to the standard that God has set. These famous last words show so much of who Jesus is, but show so much of what Jesus has done. And there's inspiration and there's challenge for each and every one of us to live according to them. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for who Jesus is and for what Jesus has done. I thank you so much for the standard that he has set for us. And we recognize, Lord, that none of us are good, of us, are good enough. None of us come up to the grade, But I thank you that we don't have to because in Jesus we find forgiveness. In Jesus we find redemption, that we get restored, that the whole of humanity and the whole of creation is restored into him. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us accept those amazing words of reassurance, those amazing words of hope and comfort. But more than that, that they would motivate us to be better than we are, to inspire us to live according to the plans and the principles and the purposes that you have for us. Bless us, encourage us, and challenge us, I pray. Amen.